we loaded the boys in the car and we walked to the back of the car um, and we just hugged each other and we prayed for our marriage. Yeah. And that was like the first thing that I was like, you know, God, whatever happens here, give us our marriage. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church YSM. We hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back to the Your Story Matters podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Past few months of this podcast have just been incredible and the opportunity to hear stories and for people to share their stories and talk about life. Um, really to talk about faith and faith through the highs and lows and understanding that uh, life is never easy, um, but God is always with you through through all of it. Um, it's just been really powerful. And so one of the things I want to do before we kick things off today is I want to encourage you to go back. If you haven't listened to other episodes, listen to this one, uh, but then start at the beginning. So much of the power of this podcast isn't one story, but all the stories together. While a lot of stories have a lot in common, uh, when it comes to faith and the trials and all the things that, that God gets them through, um, every person's portion of this podcast is unique. And um, I just want to encourage you, don't skip them. Go back and listen to them and really feel the fullness of the vulnerability that people are sharing on this podcast and really sharing it for you as they try to encourage you to lean into your faith and grow in your faith um, and trust God through the highs and lows of life. Today, I'm really excited to share uh, the story that we have with Jeff and Kelly, um, a story that for years has been one that I've kind of known a little bit about and seen the impact of, and I'm really excited for our church to hear more about, and um, I really appreciate you guys being here and being willing to talk. Uh, so let's start with <laughs> the dumbest podcast intro question ever. Most podcasts I listen to, like the first question is like, is it Coke or Pepsi? And we're like, hey, tell us about your childhood. So um, so let's do that. Kelly, we'll start with you. Okay. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Um, and what was faith like in your childhood? Okay, great. Uh, so I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, um, rodeo capital of the East, if you're curious. Um, largest rodeo east of the Mississippi. Um, but <laughs> Did you do things with no, the rodeo? No, I didn't. Okay. It's just like our claim to fame, so you have to share People it. are picturing like a cowboy yeah. right now. So it's like, okay. <laughs> no, never did anything with the rodeo. I feel like it's just our like, claim to fame because it's such a small town, you wouldn't know it anyway. So, you know, this way it puts us on the map. Um, but I grew up going to church. Um, I went to church with my mom and my sister. We went every Sunday. We were part of a Presbyterian church. Um, so it was boring, but I went and I did it. We did Sunday school as a kid. Um, as I started getting into uh, middle school and high school, I started getting involved with the youth group. And it was good. Like I was, it was a happy place. Um, our pastor at the time had 
brought in this young youth minister. Uh, That's how they get and, you. Yeah, and, and it was fun. Like, we would play these games. There would be a little bit of Jesus kind of wove into it. And he also started introducing us to worship, which was a new thing for me because growing up, it was always in the hymns. Oh, sure. We sang from the hymns, and you sang exactly as the hymn did. There was the choir. The choir did their job. And, you know, maybe once every six months, the pastor would bring in the screen and we would try the contemporary service, and it failed miserably with that population. But our worship leader at the time we would sing these worship songs in the upstairs of the manse um, because at that time, like the the manse was starting to transition that it no longer existed as the manse, but it was where the worship group or the youth group hung out. And it was the first time that I started to kind of feel that like power of God and know what that felt like rather than just going through the motions of sitting in a Presbyterian church and, uh, you know, and usually what I would do when the pastor was preaching, I would just sit and read the Bible. Like I would just leaf through and find a story and read it because I couldn't really understand what he was saying or trying to understand to me. So I was like, well, I might as well just sit here and read. Um, so for, for me, worship was kind of first exposed in high school and having that feeling of what God felt like and what it meant to me. Um, he took us to acquire the fire and it was like all these like new things that, um, kind of really started to ignite that idea of a relationship with God for me. I went to college in Western Pennsylvania as well. I went to Slippery Rock. So anybody who knows Slippery Rock and it was great. Like I went as an education major. I still came home because it was only about 40 minutes from home. I would come home on Sunday mornings and I would meet my mom for church. And then I would go home and have dinner with my mom and my dad. And I would do my laundry and I would (laughs) head back to school. That was kind of my routine. Um, so God was always there, but not necessarily a full relationship. Yeah. You know, the idea was brewing, yep. the start of it was there, um, but not not there yet. After college, I moved to Southern Maryland to teach. Um, so I was teaching and I started looking for a church because at that time, my sister was really involved in a church in Atlanta and I had seen what it was like for her to have a small group and yeah. to be involved with that small group. And that was kind of her go-to group of friends that she was going out with. It was an easy way to make friends yeah. for her in an area. So I started looking for a church that I could have the same thing. Um, so I got involved in a church in Southern Maryland Um, it was great. You know, like I had the small group, I did the small group thing again, just kind of like fostering that idea of, you know, a relationship with God and having friends that also had the same foundation. Shortly after moving to Southern Maryland, I then moved to Virginia because there's nothing going on in Southern Maryland for a young adult. (laughs) Um, so I moved to Northern Virginia, um, and kind of did the same like church shopping there, looked all around, um, I'd also like to clarify that, like, during this, like, I might have been going to church on Sunday morning, but I was also drinking on Saturday night, you know? So, like, as much as, like, I was doing what I was supposed to be doing with church, like, Friday and Saturday were still dedicated to going out, which is why I moved to Northern Virginia. And, uh, you know, but I knew that there was something more. And so God was always present in my life, whether or not I let him take the forefront or the back front, you know, like, it was was there, but I was still out to have fun and uh, meet people and... So I guess probably around like 24, 25, I got really involved in a church in Northern Virginia. And that was kind of where I really started to grow my foundation. So it was really, it was a a really large church. Um, It had the worship that I was looking for. It had the small groups. It had a really young population of people thinking that like, you know, I'd have an opportunity to meet people. So that's where I started kind of getting rooted. 
And at the same time, I was still teaching in Southern Maryland. I was working in a classroom of middle schoolers with emotional disabilities. Wow. So it was a really intense environment. Uh, we had a timeout room where we had to do restraints a lot with kids. So emotionally, that job was very taxing. Sure. Um, you know, I would come home from the day with bruises and, and bite marks and things like that because, you know, we had to put a kid in restraint that day because he didn't like the math test that we gave him. You know, like these were kids that had really, we were the one step before they went to a non-public yeah. placement. Yeah. So um, it was a really intense environment. So I started looking for a way to kind of fill my emotional bucket of feeling good about what I was doing. Um, so I got involved in Special Olympics. Um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to coach Special Olympics because this wow. feels good and it'll be great. And I'll, um, I got involved in the track team. And it was funny because I sent an email and was like, you know, I'd really like to help out. And she's like, here's a team. And, you know, I'm like 24 <laughs> years old. And a lot of the athletes that I was with were around the same age as me. Wow. Um, I had high school and up, you know, we had a couple younger kids, but for the most part, I think they were like 16 and older. And half of them were probably my age. Did you do track, though, ahead of time? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I'm just imagining you're like, I'd really love to help with basketball. And they're yeah. like, here's, here's track. the track but, Okay, okay. No, um, I, yeah, in high school, I had done all the sports. Okay, you okay. Know, I did all basketball, right. I did track. I was never a runner. I did throwing events in track. Um, but I was like, I know enough about it. Sure. I can I can lead this group of Special wow. Olympics. So, you know, that's where it's just kind of funny because they were like, here's a whole team. And I was 24 years yeah. old and had never coached anybody, let alone a whole group of people that were almost the same age as me in Special Olympics. So, yeah, I feel like I kind of have like a cookie cutter life of like, you know, there's some hardships, there's some sure. rocks, but nothing, you know, as I said, no major trauma boxes um, yeah. that get opened up there. So were you, you were living in Northern Virginia, but you were driving to Southern yeah. Maryland like every day yeah. for work. Yeah, but we were like, my school was right on the, the edge of the, the line. Okay. Um, so it was only like a 40 minute drive. Okay. And when you're, you know, 22 sure. years old, you're like, whatever, I'll drive because I'd rather have fun and drink on the weekends. And this is my school yeah. life and this is yes. my fun yeah. life. Yeah, um, you kind of got to separate those yeah. two things a little bit. Yeah. You're not going to run into Yeah, exactly. The a teacher of, I don't yeah. want to run into any, any parents so this way the likelihood is you know a yeah. little slimmer than I'm gonna see you on the weekend yeah somewhere. and where the where in northern Virginia were you living uh Alexandria Alexandria okay mm -hmm. yeah so which is a tough place like it's yeah. uh it's busy it's yeah. I mean it's practically DC right is what yes. everybody says yeah okay so Jeff yeah what about you where where'd so, you grow up yeah uh very similar to Kelly, typical childhood, except she grew up in the country, you know, rodeos, all that. <laughs> I grew up in Northern Virginia. Yeah, the 4-H club. Yeah. So Frederick's like the perfect mix of like that. <laughs> yeah, that's what we always joke is she had what I wanted growing up as far as where living, yeah. but then we landed in Frederick. So yeah. we've got suburbs, but we've got cow farms yeah. driving to our house. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I grew up in Northern Virginia. Uh, I was born in Alexandria. I lived there till I was two, and then we moved to Fairfax County. So grew up in Burke, Virginia. A lot of people, my faith journey, my mom was Lutheran, my dad was Methodist, so grew up early on going to a Lutheran church, but then uh, we landed in a Methodist church down the road from where I grew up. Gave me a very firm foundation, I'll always be thankful for that. Yeah, uh, the structure, you know, but same thing, it was the hymns, the sit stand yeah. at my mom's church, the kneel, you know, yeah. all the, <laughs> those types of things. But, you know, it was typical childhood. Yeah. I mean, we went to church on Sundays, went yeah. to lunch afterwards. Uh, I got involved with youth group a little bit, but 
you know, we would do a similar, like Kelly was saying, you know, they'd do a worship on like Saturdays yeah. and it was in like the parish hall and it was very awkward and just <laughs> yes. never like struck sure. me, you know. Um, so I always, it was more, church was more about going through the motions, but I keep, you know, I would land on that word foundation. Yeah. Like it gave me yeah. the values of a strong Christian family. You know, I had mom and dad, they're still married. Um, I had a sister, she's four years younger than me, but you know, we had a great childhood. I mean, you know, I was a kid with ADHD, got into trouble, sure. you know, but always fell back where a lot of my friends were going down different paths. I kind of had that Christian faith behind me, yeah. you know, right and wrong. Sometimes I choose the wrong, but a lot of times I knew, oh, that was, you know, that was yeah. a stupid idea. You know, I'm going to go this way sure. or, but you know, I didn't get suspended or expelled, uh, many detentions, but I also grew up with two grandpas that were very firm in their faith. Okay. Um, which to me has always been a strong thing because there are not enough men mm -hmm. in Christianity, in faith, in church. And it's something people need, especially yeah. kids. Um, they need strong men of faith. Yep. Um, so that's always been, you know, my grandpa on my dad's side, he, I, he passed away when I was 13. So, you know, I didn't get the teenage years with him, but sure. my grandpa on my mom's side, I spent a ton of time with and seeing how he was with our family, yep. with his wife, my grandma, you know, spent a lot of time fishing with them and how he interacted with us. But, you know, it's just, you can see the difference between someone that has that faith as a foundation yep. and how they live their life. Um, you know, he was a blue collar worker, somehow always had more money than anybody, mm -hmm. which he could care less about money. Um, so I've kind of, that's always struck with me as I've gotten older is, you know, not putting value in things and possessions sure. and money and more faith first yeah. than my wife here, you know, and then my family and, you know, making sure you always have your priorities yeah. in check. So between my dad and my grandpa's, I had that firm foundation from an early age. Yeah, that's awesome. So then fast forward through the teenage years, you know, I was also involved in sports. Uh, everything was basketball, always around. You know, I did baseball, I did soccer. In high school, I did track just to help with basketball yeah, and yeah. for girls, I mean, to be honest. Um, I was lazy, so I would do the jumps, the sprints, and then I'd just sit around and talk, you know. And hang out. <laughs> but same thing, you know, still going to church on Sunday, no matter what I was doing. Um, high school, you know, I started a little earlier. I was partying in high school, go out Friday night, Saturday night, but church on Sunday. I mean, it was yeah. like clockwork. Uh, that carried on into college. A little tougher college, you know, I'm not as smart as Kelly over here, but <laughs> I dug myself a pretty big hole early on in college. I was on academic probation. I partied a lot, but still worked out. Still went to church on Sunday, found a little Methodist church in the middle of Buchanan, West Virginia, where I went to school. Okay. And it felt the same, you know, I was going, singing hymns, yep. you know, hearing a good message, but at the end of the day, just, I was missing something inside. Like I, I never had that like full on relationship yeah. with Jesus. Um, you know, I knew he was there. He would come out of nowhere sometimes and hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, you know, my parents have always told me they know I'm here for a reason because I've had some close calls and, you know, but it was that structure just always stayed with me. Yeah. So no matter what I was doing during the week, um, I always went to church on Sunday. Yeah. Let me just say this too. I'm going to interject for a second because we have a lot of families right now that have kids that are getting older, right? And uh, when you guys first started coming to Collective five years ago, it was a lot of like 
babies and like two-year-olds and a lot of us as parents going, what the heck are we doing? Now these kids are third, fourth, fifth grade. Our youth collective is now 30 plus kids on a Wednesday night. And I want to point out one of the things that Jeff is saying is it wasn't about the people in his life knowing everything and doing everything perfectly. It was the foundation and the consistency. And one of the things that we're trying to push a lot of our parents to understand is we get that your kids might not always want to be at Youth Collective. And we understand that your fourth and fifth graders might not always want to get out of bed and go to church on Sunday. But it is so important to build in the priority of it and the consistency of it um, because at some point in their life, they will fall back on that. Because you got to fall back on something. Like when you when you hit those moments, or when you go to college and you're away. Like even if it's just a few hours, you know, and you start struggling, what what are your kids going to then lean back on? And right now, it's a little bit of a soapbox for me. We got a lot of parents who are like, "Ah, my kids don't want this," and it's like, I don't care, right? Because if you listen to the podcast, and again, go back and listen to other stories, for people who grew up in the church, it's never perfect. It's never smooth. It's never clean. None of us grew up in churches like Collective. And your kids could grow up in a church like Collective and still struggle with their faith when they're in college because that's just what we do. But the, the people who had parents who said, hey, this, this matters, and this is here, and we understand that it's not, you know, stand up, sit down, kneel. We understand the worship might not be everything you want it to be, um, which really in the Northern Virginia, Maryland area is tough because there's not a lot of churches around anyways. But the consistency is so important. You know, speaking into the men's side of it specifically, the dads and the husbands who are listening, like you have to set the tone in that. Um, your wife will do it, absolutely. But man, like if you do that, when your kids are 20, 24, 26, when they're going through some things, they're not gonna look as much toward their mom and what she did as much as they will the dad. And so for both of you guys, that's it's really encouraging, which are, you're not saying, we had the best church experience ever. It's just saying, hey, this mattered. And our parents showed us that it's mattered. Um, and as we move forward in your story, like you see even more so why it matters. Um, Jeff, where did you go to school? Because I, I know, I grew up in Virginia <laughs> yeah. as well. but So I went to Lake Braddock High School. Okay. So had over 4,000 kids at our school. And you just moved up and down the hallway. Yeah. And as a seventh grader, you had to go through the hallway to, yeah. you know, music or PE or... So it went from like a graduating class of 800 people to a college where yeah. there was like 1,400 people. What school was it? West Virginia Wesleyan. Oh, okay, college. okay. There's like a Wesleyan in every state. I yeah, yeah, like. yeah. Uh, I just made a joke the other day with somebody that if I wanted to play high school baseball, and I just, I was like, it'd probably be at West Virginia Wesleyan. I just like threw out of school and didn't know it was a real one. Yeah. Um, busy area. Very busy. Tons of people. It is not an area where it's like, Church is a major part of what we do because it's such a suburb of D.C. It's, hey, we live here, but we're not working here. And so people, there's not a lot of like, we exist in this city together. It's, it doesn't have the Frederick vibes where it's like we eat here and we play here. Places like Burke and Alexandria are like, no, our homes are here because it's affordable, you yeah. know, and then we, we head somewhere else. Um, all right, so Jeff, pick us back up. College, faith is there. Yes. What happens next? Because at some point you end up meeting. Yes, so. we do. I did graduate college. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. At this point, it's a big joke between me and Kelly because we always, I always say, yeah, you know, I had to go to summer term. I just had a hold few on, credits. hold on, hold on. This is like it, we need a little more backstory because 
I ended up changing majors. Um, one failed biology course said I couldn't do pre-med, and then later in life, I should have just done pre-med, obviously. But um, so I switched to education. <laughs> and I talked about how it put me behind a semester, and I did my summer of student teaching in Las Vegas. And okay. I um, I said, I was like, <laughs> that's all. Yeah, that's, right. that, that's your two worlds colliding. <laughs> You're like, how do I get far away? And also. Um, so I could have, they gave me the option that I could have walked before sure. I did yep. my student teaching. Yep. Or I could have came back in December and walked, you know, six months later. And I was like, I wasn't doing either because it felt weird to walk beforehand. Yep. And then it felt weird to come back six yep. months later and walk. And then Jeff's will argue that he's like, yeah, they wouldn't let me walk either <laughs> early because he was a few credits short. And how many credits short were you, Jeff? I was, I was only 14. Only 14 <laughs> credits that's, <laughs> that's a heavy loaded yeah, yeah. semester. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's what we always joke. Then I'm like, Jeff, you, you weren't short a couple credits. It's you were a whole semester yeah. behind. Anyways, you did it. You did it yeah, your way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did it my way. I still didn't walk because <laughs> I would have to walk the next yep, year. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, so came back to Northern Virginia and then, yeah, just kind of apartment hopped in Fairfax County. Tons of people. I would literally just commute down Route 50 and it would take me an hour when it should have been 10, 15 minutes. Yep. But same thing as Kelly, you know, all the girls I dated, great people, but something was always missing. I'd always tell my parents about it. I'd always pray about it, but... I've always wanted to be a dad. Like I've always wanted to, and again, back to that foundation, you know, my dad always said growing up, you know, find a good Christian woman, yeah. you know, trust me, like it will, you know, be very important in your life. Yeah. Um, I always like, yeah, whatever dad. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, looking back on it, it was very good advice because I've seen a lot of divorce with friends yeah. and a lot of people go different ways and, um, but again, you know, having that firm foundation in your family, um, with Christ at the center. Uh, yeah. So working in Fairfax, one of my jobs, I was working in an engineering firm and they had a program, um, with teenagers that had graduated, but they're in that transition of graduating high school, going into work. And these were kids with disabilities yeah. as well. Um, we had a program where you can mentor them and, it was similar to like Toastmasters in like the business world where you work on public speaking. And so we called it Loud and Proud. And my former boss, she had started this. And so I got involved and fell in love with it, uh, working with kids with all different types of disabilities, but just amazing people. Had so much they could complain about, but never. They were always happy. Yeah. Um, so I fell in love with it and I was like, how can I do more? Because I, like Kelly, had this void of like, I need something else, you know, other than just working out, partying, going to church on Sunday yeah. and working. You know, it's just, it's just like this cycle. Uh, so I found out about Special Olympics as well. And I went all in. I mean, I was coaching soccer, basketball, track. Um, and then, yeah, so track season starts up. We have our first meeting. I come in with my typical fit matching head to toe back then. Uh, this is one of our favorite stories in the beginning. Cause yeah, so keep it, like to set the scene for this room, it is a room filled of middle-aged to uh, older adults that have some kind of connection to somebody in the Special sure. Olympics world. Sure. Mm -hmm. So either they are the classroom teacher, they are a parent to yeah. somebody who's involved, um, 
Jeff and I are the only ones yeah. in our 20s that are sitting in this room. Yeah. Um, so my first thought was, like, I knew why I was there. Like, I, I'm a teacher, so I'm loosely related yeah. to this world, and I'm trying to find something to feel good about doing. Um, I know why I'm there, but why is this guy yeah. there? Like, he's doing <laughs> to, community to, service. To yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, there is no other reason yeah. that somebody who is a good person in their mid-20s is here. Yeah. He's definitely doing community service. And then um, the other joke that I have, you know, Jeff's kind of eyeing me up. And I'm going, why is this guy with such bad feet wearing sandals? <laughs> like, yeah. I had my Jordan was, sandals on. Yeah. I would have never thought anything yeah. about it. Yeah. But they matched the first thing she noticed. And I was yeah. like, whoa, he should put some tennis shoes on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, so you can... Continue. Yeah, but you liked it, though. I don't know. I was like, maybe we can put shoes on it. <laughs> but I was curious. I was like, yeah. why Why is this guy here, sure. too? Because uh, yeah. I didn't join Special Olympics to meet somebody. Like, yeah. I, I really thought there would be no other young adults yep. in this program helping. It is kind of shocking, too, that that is not a... I'm in my early to mid-20s, and this is how I'm going to spend my time. Like, that's not... You are the two people that I know now that have, yeah. that have made that decision. You know, I'm not a big fan of the, like, God is like this puppet master chess player type thing, right? But man, does that not feel unintentional. It gets worse. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Don't you worry. There's more puppeteering. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, Kelly walked in. I was like, you know, definitely like, wow, who's this gorgeous woman coming into this? I did not expect any of this either. I wasn't there to look for yeah. someone. Yeah, uh, I literally love these kids, adults. You know, like Kelly said, the range was all over the place. Yeah. There were kids mm-hmm. older than me, same age as me. You know what? But so I was coaching with a dad of one of them, and we coached together through every season. Wow. But yeah, so we get our first track meet, official one, and mm-hmm. Kelly and I started talking. You know, while we were there, and kept it going. And he was trying to put moves on. I was oh, putting yeah. moves on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought <laughs> he I had at least had tennis shoes on that day. And it was awesome. And I was like, you know, I got to ask this girl out. I didn't do it then, but I was like. Because that was the first time we yeah. had a conversation yeah. even. You know, like at the meeting, it was just like an in passing. Like, you know, you're, you're talking to everybody. Uh, but it was just um, one of those moments, like, just struck me. Like, it was just easy, you yeah. know, and everything was flowing. So fast forward that same day, I was going to Charlestown, West Virginia with my buddies to play poker. Mm-hmm. I was. That was another thing back then. I was playing poker like every night. <laughs> uh, obviously, didn't care about my money. <laughs> the little that I had. Um, but I was telling my two best friends about her on the way up. You know, it was like a 45-minute drive. And just, you know, I was like, you know, hopefully I can ask this girl out and tell him how awesome she seemed and this and that. So we get up there, and while we're waiting for a poker table to open up, we just go out to watch the horse races. Also, I have a friend who lives in Charlestown, okay. and I don't see her a whole lot. And we had this like day planned on the calendar that I was driving from Northern Virginia out to Charlestown to see her. And she was like, "What do you want to do today?" And I was like, "I don't know." And she's like, "Let's go to the casino. Let's like go over and check out the horse races." So I was like, "Okay, let's go." Um, <laughs> and in the car on the way there, because you know it's a forty-five minute to an hour drive to Charlestown from Northern Virginia. I'm like having this like open conversation with God as sure. to like who is this guy? Yeah. What do you yeah. want yeah. from me with him? Like it was just kind of this like feeling of like God was throwing him in my path, but I wasn't sure 
why or what he wanted sure. to do. But I just remember having this kind of like open conversation. Um, so we go to, to the casino and we go out to uh, the races. Um, and she's like, let's go check out the horse races. Cause we're not going to the poker table, but we might like play a few slots and sure. whatnot. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's go out and check out the horse races and not out there five seconds that some guy rushes up to me and he's like, Hey, were you at the special Olympics meet today? And I was like, yeah, were you like, I like, cause I didn't know this person yeah. and you know, like now knowing him and his big personality, like it, it matches Jeff's best friend. But he's it like, yeah, me. yeah. He's like, Hold do you on. know so this Jeff, guy? Your friend just like put two and two together. No. So here's the other. Thing. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because hold on one second. That's like, Hey, maybe it's that person. Yeah, no. Honestly, I'm not gonna lie. So I thought you were gonna be like, and there was a horse. Named Kelly. No. <laughs> I, was like, I just thought, like, okay, this is even more. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so same thing. We're at the horse track, and I look down, and I see Kelly. And I was like, guys, that's the girl I was telling you about. Wow. My friend beelines down there. I mean, he couldn't have, like, I don't think the guy had a minute to react because I'm not kidding when I was like, we were out there less than 10 seconds yeah. and this guy was like, hey, were you at the, at the Special Olympics meet today? So then I come and I'm yeah, like, yeah. hey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. But yeah, so the most random, oh my goodness. but mm-hmm. intentional, you know, sure. like just, sure. yeah. there was a reason. Yeah. And but Jeff almost blew it. Yeah, I did. So the next part of that <laughs> night is, you know, so we did end up playing poker for a little, but beforehand I made sure to get Kelly's number and I'm like, hey, we'll call you later if we're done early. If not, we gotta hang out soon. Anyways, we're playing poker. I'm up a bunch of money. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm gonna go try and hang out with Kelly. I look at my phone. I'm scrolling everywhere. Didn't say <sighs> yeah, that's the ADHD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's it gone. Yeah. So I was like, oh well, I guess I'll go play, you know, slots, grab a beer. Didn't even make out the door a second. Here she comes again. God's like, all right, buddy. Here's yeah. your second chance. Because well, I always joke that like if he would have waited till the next Special Olympics meet, which was like two weeks from then, I would have been like, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, Who knows? yeah well, especially because two weeks is... That's a long time yeah. in the single world. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, especially because... And I do want to point this out because this is not... We're not going to like spend a ton of time talking about like you guys dating and like the that part of your story. Like this a is a big time. part. <laughs> well, but like a big piece of it though is, you know for those of you who are single listening, like one of the things that we say all the time is like become the person you're looking for is looking for essentially. Like when you put yourself in the right spots, even if you're not looking for somebody, but if you have the right foundation, if you're trusting and God's encouraging you to do things, maybe it isn't as, you know, specific (laughs) as like you end up at Charleston, you bump into them, but like, Man, when, you, when you're putting yourself in the place God wants you to be in and being the type of person he wants you to be, man, do good things happen. Not perfect things, right? And this isn't a story about how, look how perfect that is, the end. But man, we got a lot of people that are single at Collective, like, I can't find the right person. It's like, are you doing anything that puts you in a place where you could find the right people? You know, and for you guys, it's you have the foundation of church, but part of it is like the Special Olympics and saying, hey, I want to do this, not for anybody else, not to find somebody, but because God's put this burden on my heart and I'm going to give my time to this. And he's like, hey, here's the bonus. You're going to meet the right type of people, you know, and it's just it's just incredible. But because you guys were doing good things and it's not even good things it's what God had like been pushing you to do, how God created you guys all of a sudden, here's this bonus yeah right so you bump into each other again yeah 
this time I locked it in. That's good. Made sure it was safe. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we hung out for a while, but I called her the next day. We had our first date that week. And uh, it was one of those moments. I mean, it doesn't happen this way for everybody. Yep. I know people have dated for years before they mm-hmm. got married, whatnot. But our first date that night, I was like, I know. Like, when you know, you know. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yep. And four months later, I proposed. <laughs> Holy cow. Mm-hmm. And she actually said yes. I actually yeah. said yes. You felt yeah. the same way. Yeah. Well, I, like, you know, joked a little bit the night that he proposed. We were in Ocean City, Maryland, and we went to dinner. And it was, like, the worst dinner we've ever had because he was so boring. Like, he wasn't oh, and talking. And I loved to eat. We went yeah. to an all-you-can-eat Yeah, seafood. I was like, let's like... go to an all-you-can-eat. We'll get a couple <laughs> drinks. We'll have a great time. We were meeting some friends the next day, like, on a different part of the beach. Um, and he was just like a doll dud, like just yeah. wasn't talking, wasn't having any drinks. And I was just like, all right, let's just go back to the room. Like this night, yeah. we're done. Like, <laughs> well, she didn't know I had a ring burning yeah. a yeah. hole in my pocket. Yeah. And I was, because and, I had like dreamt up this like perfect moment sure. of how I was. So, and I kept ruining it. And my advice, yeah, she would, I mean, the whole way along, she was just crashing every moment I was yeah. going to try and do He's it. He's like, like, let's walk back on the beach. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, we haven't <laughs> talked all of dinner. Why are we going to talk on the beach now? You know, that so mean. Um, and then we went and sat in a lifeguard chair, yeah. which blew his whole plan because of how he was going to propose. Like, oh, sure. And, yeah, sure. This whole... and so we were like, from, from me to you, a good four feet from the water. And we, I was like, okay, you ready to head back? Like, we're still not talking here. And he's like, yeah, do you want to walk to the water? And I was like, what? The water's right there. right there. Like, why do I need to get any closer? Um, but it was all part of his plan. Um, but then he had this really long speech that I was like, is this guy serious? Like, we've only been dating for four months. Yeah. And he also didn't have, like, a ring box out at the time. And I was like, is he just going to get up at the end of this speech and be like, okay, I'll do this <laughs> yeah. again later with <laughs> yeah. a ring. Um, but no, he was serious. So yeah. <laughs> I said yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, didn't and, remember any word I said. No, sure. I couldn't tell sure. anything. Um, That's some advice I give. You know, maybe some people will yeah. remember it, but I had this long drop. Should have just kept it short and sweet yeah. to the point. Yeah. And just... I think too, like, you know, thinking about this, it's really telling that like when we called our family, everybody was really excited. Yeah. Like there was no like, you, you've only been dating for four sure. months. What are yep. you doing? Nobody. I mean, maybe they did behind closed doors, uh, but I don't think they did just because they were pretty much all very opinionated. Um, but everybody was like, that's great. It's awesome. Yeah. We're, we're so excited. You know, like. And I think, again, just, like, knowing the, the type of people that Jeff and I are and finding each other, like, everybody else was like, this is great. We're good. Yeah. Well, and, and, again, like, knowing you guys have the same foundation. You guys are looking for the same thing. Mm-hmm. And when you, from the outside perspective, when you look in and you're like, yeah, they both love Jesus. This is a part of their life. Like, that's not going to be an issue. Like, the, the faith, like, one having belief and whatnot, like, they're not going to run into that tension. You know, you guys are both serving with the Special Olympics saying, like, hey, their heart's or for the same thing, that's not going to create tension. Like when, again, when you put your, when you do the right things, you put yourself in the right places, four months is quick. But when it's what you said, when you know, you know, yeah. and you guys weren't going to have conflict on like the way you valued things yeah. and the way you valued people, or even like understanding how difficult it is to be in the Northern Virginia area. Like you guys just had a lot of those things. Um, four months is quick, but oh, yeah. again, dad did say he's like, well, you didn't ask me. Yeah, that was the <laughs> yeah. only thing my dad was mad yeah. about. Was and that. I do honestly regret, because we have a great relationship, him and I, but that's the one thing. I wish sure. I could. Sure. And I was going to. I had the ring. I went on a beach trip with her family like a month prior. 
I had it in my golf bag. Wow. I was going to ask him, but I was like, he's going to think I'm nuts. Sure. Like, yeah, because sure. at that point, it was only like barely three months yes. yeah. to, with like the timeline. So how long was it before the wedding? Less than a year. Yeah. I proposed wow. in August, my birthday weekend too. I was about to turn 30. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was going to say too. Like we weren't young, but we weren't sure. old. Jeff sure. was 30. I was 27. Um, but we had also been through like this life of experience with other relationships sure. that we knew were bad sure. and weren't leading yep. to the right thing. So I think when we found each other, it was like, oh, this yeah. is what it's yeah. supposed to feel like. And this is how, you know, it's easy. And yep. Specifically for people who are around that age or maybe they've been married young and got divorced and all that. You know, there's these couples going to collective and they're talking about like, oh, one day we'll get engaged, one day we'll get married. It's like, hey, if this is the right person, specifically if you're in your, your mid to late 20, you've been through enough life, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, come on. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I've been pushing a lot of younger couples of like, I get it, you wanna do the big thing. This is a really important day. Do the big thing, do the important thing. COVID's kind of ruined all that because all the wedding life yeah. is nuts. And so I keep encouraging these couples where it's like, hey, if you know, like, do something small and just do it. Like, don't, you don't need to wait two years for an engagement, two years for a wedding, you know, if, it, if it's the right person and, and you have the right community around you and the right goals and all that, you know, we still tell people you need to go to premarital and like do all that. But when you know, like, why wait? Especially because, you know, as a Christian couple as well, the longer you wait, the more tension gets brought in of like, hey, it'd be really nice if we were married right now, you know? And so you're just like kind of setting yourself up for more drama and frustration and all that stuff. So, you know, four months in a year, it's, yeah. it sounds quick, but yeah. when it's right, it's it right. Worked. So far, it's worked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, here we are. <laughs> Almost 10 years later. And what was awesome about it, then we ended up coaching Special Olympics together. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was awesome. It was a great time. And then, you know, kind of back to faith as well, like Kelly introduced me to that church she was mentioning, Yeah. Um, which was way outside of my bubble mm-hmm. because growing up in, uh, you know, denominational church like it's so black and white and you know there's nothing wrong with it but you know we call those like rock band churches or yeah, you know, yeah. it was like yeah. the church is yeah, like yeah. you know what are they doing yep. <laughs> it was and, also a mega church yeah. you know at the time yeah. like, there's hundreds of people attending several services yep. and jeff's coming from maybe yeah. what 100 yeah. 150 but i walk in and like i felt something that i had never felt before going to church and and even to this day, I don't feel church is like, church is us. Like, it's the people. And like, you know, but practicing and, you know, setting that foundation and going to church with other people, you know, it creates that community and everything. But like, worship is, I music has always been my thing. Yeah. And I've been in music, but listening to music, you know, no matter what, I mean, you can tell what kind of mood I'm in based on what I'm listening okay. to. Okay, yeah, yeah. So hearing like, that type of music, yeah. not that there's anything wrong with hymns, it struck me instantly. Like there was a drummer, there was guitars, there's amazing singers, and but singing Christian songs, singing yeah. about what I believe. And I was sold instantly and yeah. mm-hmm. I was all in. And that was a huge part of not just my faith journey, but our faith journey at the beginning of our relationship. Yeah. Yeah, because we we got involved in the small groups as like kind of a married couple now at this point. Um we were leading small groups. Um, we were serving in the kids' ministry. Um, we were really heavily involved in this church, which eventually became a campus church and then split with the campus and help 
um, start there. So that church played a big part of our foundation as a couple. Um, we'll kind of get into the hurt that that church also caused later sure. down the road. But um, we did our premarital counseling there. We made some really great friends there. But yeah, so I think just having that where like, you know, on Sunday we went to church and on Tuesday night we had small group yeah. and, you know, like it was just our routine and kept us grounded in that, you know, like we were still, we were still going out with friends on Friday night, sure. you know, like that's, that's still happening. It's not like we'd stopped having a social life, but the foundation of God in our marriage was what was always there. Yeah. And we also got baptized at this church, yeah. which, you know, for me, you know, getting baptized as a baby, like. It meant nothing to me, like, yeah, it was my parents' decision, but, you know, choosing that point in your life, and that's why I love how much you focus on water baptism, yeah. during, you know, because yeah. not that, like, we had tons of, like, rock bottom moments, you know, we had lots, you know, mistakes here and there, but mm-hmm. it was that true, like, washing away the past, not forgetting it, it made me who I am, made us who we are, but, you know, it's that, all right, we're starting our relationship, our family journey. Christ is going to be at the center of all of it. And getting baptized together was a huge moment in our yeah. faith. And like, all right, here's our path forward. I think I struggled a lot more with getting baptized as an adult than Jeff did. Like, I, it took me a lot longer to sure. come around to it because for me, I had that vision of, well, I was baptized as a baby, which I feel indifferent about. Like, sure. you know, it's done. It's a part it's of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's okay. Yeah. But I never strayed from God. Like, mm-hmm. even though, like I, you know, Jeff said, I might not have made the best choices or, you know, the best situations, God was always there yeah. and I never left God. So for me, I had a really hard time kind of seeing, like, why do I need to get baptized? I've been baptized and uh, I've always believed in God. Nothing has changed. And it was actually a conversation that I had with our pastor at the time. And he was like, it's about you making the choice that you are a believer in God. He's like, your parents made that choice for you as a baby. He's like, but this is about you. He's like, you don't have to stray from the word of God. It's about you taking claim that like, I am a believer of God and this is the path that I'm choosing. Um, so I think for me, like, it took me a little while yeah. to come around because Jeff was like, I want to do this. Do you want to do it with me? Yeah. And, you know, like, yeah. Jeff's personality was like, let's go, let's go now. Yeah. And I was like, um, I'd like to process yeah, it. Yeah. I'd like to think about yeah. it. And, you know, just give me a minute. Um, so it took me a lot longer to be like, oh, okay. Like, I, like it almost felt like I was doing something wrong sure. by sure. Yep. being baptized yep. because I'd never, like, I, I was brought up in this Christian yep. faith. It, it wasn't this turning point for yeah. me. Yeah, and that that is why culturally at collective like we try to share stories ahead of time because we want people to understand because there is a misconception that everybody who gets in the traffic collective there's no jesus no jesus no jesus i want all of jesus and that's huge it's great you know and we do have that at collective you know we are one of those lucky churches where easter um one of the people that we baptized like two of them were students so that was a moment for them but um jasmine who got baptized her first time walking into a church was collective at christmas there was no faith you know, but her husband, on the other hand, grew up in the church. And both of them, while it is the same step and it is the same, like, foundational moment for them, how they got there is very different. And But there's something really cool about, you know, and this is why we encourage people who have been, you know, sprinkled as a baby, like, hey, you should also do this. Because there's something about the fact that you can look back and say, hey, there's this moment where I was like, no, I am all in. I've always been all in. But here's this, like, this thing. And it's honestly, it's kind of like a wedding. You're in love, and it's like, you know, and there, there are people all the time like, well, why do we have to get married? And like, well, I guess you don't, okay? Like, should you probably, like, make it official so that there's some sort of um, accountability in that and uh, really 
a promise in that. And baptism is kind of like the same way where it's like, hey, this is the moment when I said, hey, this is the promise. Like this is, you know, the covenant is, is the biblical word for it. And then you always have that moment where you're like, no, I am all in. And this is the proof that I, that I, that I did this. And baptism specifically is such a vulnerable moment. It is messy. You know, as a viewer, you're like, what a beautiful thing. But as the person like who's getting up out of the water, you're like, it's cold. I'm wet. All these people are staring at me. Um, but in order for me, I always say, like, if, if you want it, like, you'll, you'll do that. Yeah. And you'll put yourself in that place. And you'll know, like, it was real. Because, like, man, if you don't want to be vulnerable, you won't make that decision. You don't want to be soaking wet in front of a group of strangers who are cheering for you for some reason. You won't go through that moment. So obviously, I think that's very good teaching from your pastor. Yeah. Um, but again, like it's it's a foundational thing. And I think it's really special that you guys did it as well when you're married, because while you have had faith mm-hmm. and the paths have been separate places, there really was this moment where you guys came together as one as a married couple, but also even in your faith, like foundationally, you have these things to say, okay, these are this is what our life is built on, um, which is really important, especially as as the story you know keeps moving mm-hmm. forward. Um, so keep pushing us through, uh, what comes next. Another thing for me personally was truly going all in, you know, I was one of those people growing up where I kept everything bottled down, typical guy, all emotions, things like that. But the other part of that is this was the first thing that, you know, exposed me to small groups and actually talking about moments in my life, talking about feelings. I was mm-hmm. journaling, you know, things I had never even thought about doing when I was younger, you know, cause I was just this tough guy that like, yep. no, I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I don't trust those type of things. I'm sure. going to deal with this myself, <laughs> put it somewhere and it'll never come out, but then it always would and yep. not good ways. So, uh, that's another thing. I, all those thoughts you have and you feelings you have, you bury them deep. Yep. No, write them down or say them out loud or talk to someone or yep. cause mm-hmm. small groups, you know, Going to church on Sunday is a huge part of it, but also getting involved, serving, you know, small groups, talking with other Christians about what you're going through in life and just getting it out there. Because um, that, you know, it was just so refreshing to like move through our faith journey with this new outlook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we were married about a year and we decided that it was time to have kids. Um, we got a dog first. We got a dog yeah. first. As soon as we got started, back on our honeymoon. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. got back on our honeymoon from like a Thursday, and I picked up a puppy on Friday. <laughs> okay. um, I don't recommend that. Uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, so about a year in, we decided that it was time to start trying for children. And I got pregnant right away, so there was no issues there. And we went to our first ultrasound appointment. So she's doing the sonogram, showing us everything's checking out, everything's looking good. And she went through everything really in depth. She was like, here's this, here's yeah. this. I mean, it was like a 20-minute oh, appointment yeah. Yeah. up until this. And we always, we always joke about the next part because then, like, she just says something. She's like, oh, what's this over here? And, and we're like, over. <laughs> like, what's over there? And she's like, oh, there's another one. Yeah. Like, so then she, she like pans it so you can see both babies just, at the yeah, same wow. time. Um, you know, because it was at eight weeks, so we got little like gummy bears that are yep, kind of like yep. floating around. And in hindsight, she was probably flipping between the two babies the Checking whole time, sure. and I just didn't realize that we were switching views. Yeah. <laughs> 
and it was funny because my mom had this dream, you know, a couple of weeks before when we first told them that we, that I was pregnant. And she's like, I dreamed that it was twins, and I don't even remember what it was now, but it was this yeah. ter- like these terrible twinsy names. And she's like, but if you have twins, just please promise me you won't don't name, name them, them this. this and this. And I was like, okay, mom. <laughs> so it was good. kind of like on my radar. My sure. grandmother is a twin. Okay. Okay. Um, she's actually one of three sets of twins within what? her siblings. <laughs> yeah. But there's also 17 children. Oh, okay. So like you know, yeah, like yeah, probability yeah. is high. The Western Pennsylvania. Yeah. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, probability is high for like when you have that many kids. Yeah. Um, and there had been no twins elsewhere in my family up until this point. Um, so yeah, like it was like in the back of my mind, like what if it was twins, but not sure. really. What if it was actually twins? Um, but everything was fine. They like the prenatally everything checked out. I eventually developed preeclampsia towards the end of my pregnancy, so I made it to about 36 weeks, um, 36 and a half weeks pregnant with the twins. The original plan was that I was going to try for a vaginal birth, but at the last minute, one of the boys flipped and he went uh, sideways. And the the doctor's thought was. Once the first baby comes out, we don't know if he'll flip feet first or head first. And she goes, I don't think you want to have a baby. One have a C-section and one a vaginal delivery. I said, yeah. no, 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 these babies are coming out one way only yeah. <laughs> if wow. I can control it. So they were born. Um, they had uh, some trouble feeding early on, but they were also several weeks early. So yeah. mm-hmm. nobody was concerned. I always get asked like what their APGAR scores were. And I was like, I don't know. Nobody told me. So they must sure. have been fine. Sure. You know, like yep. nobody flagged anything there. So they both spent about two weeks. It was like 10 and 14 days in the NICU um, due to like low oxygen saturation, feeding trouble, um, trouble with their like bilirubin levels, all things that were deemed typical and normal Mm -hmm. for early twins. And, you know, it's like little things like we look back. They At one point they gave Bryce a feeding tube, an NG tube down his nose. And I remember like just being so heartbroken at like my baby having this feeding tube. And I was like, oh, if God only could have been like, just wait, wait till you see what's coming. So we were sent home and everything was fine. They were like, you're good. Take them home. They're great. Enjoy life. And then I had a girlfriend at the time who had a little boy that was like three days older than the boys. And uh, at that time, we were kind of sharing back and forth what, you know, what he was doing and what the twins were doing. And the boys, because they were early, they were given that grace period of developmental time to catch up. And then even more so, they were given more because they were twins. So not only were they given that premature timeline, they were then given an additional timeline. Um, But I would notice, like, oh, her little guy was smiling. Two or three weeks later, the boys would start smiling. And, oh, her little guy's doing this. And then two or three weeks later, the boys would start doing this. But then I noticed that gap starting to get bigger and bigger and things that he was doing. I was like, we're, we're nowhere near that. And um, I specifically remember going to one of Jeff's friends' houses and they also, it was like a baby boom at the time, mm-hmm. you know, and our friends, yep. like yep. it happens. And he picked their baby up. I don't know who it would have been. Maybe Robert? Yeah. Um, at the time, picked him up in the air on one hand and balanced him on his belly on his hand. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, we could never do yeah. that with the boys. Like they would just fold in half. Like they didn't have the, the support to do that. And at that time, developmentally, they should have. Yeah. So at their four month appointment, we took them to, I took them to the pediatrician for their, their checkup. Um, and I said to the doctor at the time, I said, they don't do anything on tummy time. They're not picking their heads up. They're not looking around. Like they would literally just lay with their faces on the ground and just kind of smear them back and forth mm. and they would cry the whole time. And I was like, you know, and I, I put Bryce on his belly. I, remember, I don't know why I remember that it was Bryce. I put Bryce on his belly and I was like, this is all he does on tummy time. And he didn't even look at the boys and he goes, they'll be fine. They'll catch up. They're twins and they're early and walked out yeah. of the room. 
And I was like, no, no, we're four months old. Like, we should at least be able to pick our necks off the mm-hmm. off the floor to look around. Um, we were also like clearing mucus and snot from their noses all the time. Like those little suckers that people are like, those are so gross. How do you yeah. use those? But in hindsight, like it probably saved their life yeah. because yeah, every single them, yeah. day we were clearing so much secretions out of their noses. Um, and in hindsight, it's because they couldn't physically do it themselves. Yeah. Um, so then um, I wasn't okay with that. Like I was a teacher, I had a niece and a nephew. Like I was like, something's not right here. Like even if it is just they're behind, we've got to do something. Sure. Like we've got to step in, we've got to we've got to start some intervention here. So I went ahead and called early intervention, had them come out for the evaluation. And you know, they were like, yep, the boys qualify. We'll get them started with some PT. We sat, I sat at that meeting, you know, which was like a total role reversal for me because I was the special ed teacher. Like I sat at the table and told you what your kids' goals were going to be and what they looked like. And now all of a sudden I'm having somebody else tell me about my kids and what their goals are. So emotionally that was, that was just hard for me. I cried Um, just because I was like, this is, this is weird. This isn't what's supposed to happen. Like I'm supposed to have these healthy kids that just do what they're supposed to do. And I remember specifically them saying that their goal for the boys were to sit independently by the end of the year mark, which would have been like the timeline for the, the, the treatment plan. And I was calculating in my head, I was like, the boys will be a year and five months in a year. Yeah. They should be doing way more than sitting independently in a year. Like what what is going on here? Like how far behind are they? And why is nobody else like listening to me? But I was like, okay, we'll do it. This is what we're gonna do. We're, we're gonna do everything. So um, at their six month appointment, Jeff is with me, um, which you weren't there for four months. So I don't know what changed, but you came with me for six months. Um, and I went in with a real chip on my shoulder because I knew these boys weren't meeting milestones yeah. and I was the one who was doing everything and like no thanks to them. So we saw their regular pediatrician at the time. So we saw somebody else at the four month appointment. Our regular pediatrician was back. Um, she comes in, she does their whole evaluation and she goes, I'll be right back. Just give me one minute. I'll be right back. And she walks out of the room and honestly, like I sat there and I was like, I don't know what she's doing, yeah. you know, like, cause I was like, in my head, I was like, we've got them enrolled in early intervention. We're, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Like, yeah, they're behind. I, I told you this, I told you they were behind, but I, I'm taking care of it. Um, and she comes back in and she says to me, she goes, um, and Jeff, she goes, I'm really concerned with the boys' delay in their milestones. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I told I, I told him that at four months and nobody listened to me. I already I already did it. Already, like I thought she was just sure. coming in to say, let's get him enrolled in early intervention. And I was going to be like, beat you to it. You know, like, because I was, again, like so cocky about it. Um, and she goes, no, no, no. I'm really concerned mm. about their, their development. And I was like, oh. Okay, and it was kind of this like wake up call of like, okay, what do you, what do we do? And she's like, I really want you to see a neurologist just to like rule out some things is the way she phrased it. And um, she gave us a list and she said, if you can't get in in the next couple days or next couple weeks, call me back. She's like, because I don't want you worrying about this for months is what she said. In hindsight, she thought we didn't have months um, if we would have waited that long. So... um, we went home and I called the neurologist, you know, the list that she gave me. And it was like six to eight months for everybody mm-hmm. to get in. Um, so I called the pediatrician's office back and I was like, they can't, nobody can get us in for six to eight months. And again, like at this point, I wasn't like super concerned. Like I was like, 
She'll probably just tell us to wait. Sure. You know, we'll, we'll put it on the list of things to do and it's fine. Um, and she was like, well, let me make some calls and I'll call you back. Um, and she got us in two days later. Wow. Um, and she told me later that she, the, the neurologist actually wanted us to come that day, wow. but she didn't want to scare us too much. So she gave us wow. like a little bit of a buffer um, to, to do that. So, um, so two days later, we show up to Children's National. And by this point, I had done all the research. You know, like I was already yeah. like doing yeah. some loose research, but I was like, again, like just some hypertonia, some developmental delays, like, you know all the easier sure. diagnosis. Um, so we show up to Children's National. We take the boys in um, to meet with a neurologist. Um, and she does this kind of full workup, full evaluation. She's going through the list, asking me all these questions. Um, she asked me a lot of questions, like at the time that like, you know, I was like, why, why is she asking me that? Um, I was still nursing at the time. And she's like, is that the way they always feed? And I was like, like I was a new mom. Yeah, like I didn't know yeah, that there yeah. was any other way yeah. that a baby should be nursing. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah. Is that, is that not right? And she was like, oh no, you know, like a therapist, yeah, you know, yeah. like writing the notes. Yeah. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> and then kind of like the moment of clarity for me, um, she asked if they were reaching for our faces. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like it was such a weird question that like, you don't think about, and then I was like, are they? I, I don't know if they're reaching for my face. Like, what, what does that mean? And I had these long dangly earrings on. And um, she said, well, are your earrings safe? And I just like sunk because I had never had my earring pulled out by my own kid. And they were six months old. Like, it was kind of in that moment that I knew that it was something so much worse. Sure than I thought it was going to be. Um, and I was like, no, they're safe. They've never, they've never grabbed for my earrings. They've never, I guess they've never reached for my face, which just, and then it like felt icky to be like, oh my God, I didn't even realize yeah. my kid, like, I didn't even know I was supposed to know that my kids weren't yeah. reaching for my face. And you know, here we are. And then <laughs> she handed, towards the end of the appointment, she handed me a box of tissues and she said, my allergies always bother me this time of year too. And I was like, I didn't even, have I sniffled? Have I sneezed? Like, what, what, okay, like, thanks. And it was because she was preparing us. Like, she was preparing us. Like, she sure. knew I was going to cry. She knew that we were going to be upset. Um, I don't even know that I did cry during that no, appointment we very... because I was so caught off guard sure. that, like, I didn't, I didn't realize the magnitude of, like, again, I thought she was going to be like, oh, you know, it's cerebral palsy. It's, you know, because early on, Bryce had to have an x-ray um, or an ultrasound of his back um, for, like, the sacral dimple that he had to rule out cerebral palsy. So I was like, oh, maybe it's just, sure. like, we missed something. Mm -hmm. um, so she asked me, she said, what do you think it is? And I, you know, and I think she was trying to see if I thought it was what it ended up sure. being. And um, I went through the list of, you know, global hypertonia and CP and, you know, all this stuff. And she just said, no, 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 no. And I said, then I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And she goes, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's spinal muscular atrophy. And I was like, I've never even heard sure. of this. Mm -hmm. Like I yeah. never, like this wasn't, this wasn't part of my Google searches at 2 AM when I was trying sure. to figure out what was wrong with the boys. And um, I said, okay, you know, what does that mean? Cause in my head, I'm still going, whatever it is, we'll fix it. Whatever sure. it is, we'll live with it. And yeah. whatever it is, we'll, we'll do it. And, you know, like that's, this is, this is fine. I was like, okay, what does that mean? And she's like, well, it's a neurodegenerative disease and it's compared to ALS in children. 
And like, I knew what ALS was. And like, we knew that ALS gets worse and it gets worse until it takes your life. Um, And she said, there are several different types. And she said, because the boys have never sat independently, I think that they are likely type ones. And then she asked, she's like, how much do you want to know? Mm-hmm. Wow. And I was like, I want to know everything because if you don't tell me, I'm going to go home and look it up. Yep. I was going to Google it. Yeah. Like yeah which is the gonna, worst case yeah, scenario. I'm just going to yep. spin and, and circle and Google it. Um, and she told me that the boys would lose all abilities to do anything. They would lose, um, they would never sit independently. They would lose their swallow. Um, they would likely only have movement in their fingertips. They would lose the ability to breathe on their own. Um, they would never lift their arms up. They would never move their legs. Um, and that was if they lived to be two. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of the soul crushing moment for me that I was like, wait, I might lose my babies. Like mm-hmm. I thought that we were just living a life of disability. Like I didn't, you know, like as I'm like fast forwarding sure. these emotions in my brain, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Like, you're telling me my kids might die and I might have two of them die of the same disease. And it was just like, just crushed us, you know? Cause I was like, I didn't ever anticipate feeling this way today. You know, I was just like, oh, she's going to tell us we need to sure. do some more testing. And, yep. um, and then she was like, you know, there's a promising clinical trial and we'll do some research into it. And she sent us out the door. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, we took the boys back out to the car. Um, and I, being that I worked um, in education, I divorce rate is high anyways, and I know it's even higher in families with kids with yep. disabilities. Yep. Um, we loaded the boys in the car, and we walked to the back of the car, um, and we just hugged each other, and we prayed for our marriage. Yeah, And that was like the first thing that I was like, you know, God, whatever happens here, give us our marriage. Like, help us keep this marriage together and to do whatever we need to do for these boys. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to actually stop right here um, and make this a two-parter, which uh, I know drives you so crazy. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. I know that's a hard moment to end on, and um, I feel emotionally wrecked sitting here <laughs> listening to that. Um, but I just really want to encourage you guys listening to to make sure to listen to the next one because what's really powerful about Jeff and Kelly's story isn't the low, right? And we share the low because we have to, because it's a part of our life. But man, are you going to be encouraged by what what comes next and the vulnerability and the realness of part two. So come back next week, check it out, and we'll continue with Jeff and Kelly's story. Uh, Thank you so much for listening this week. Uh, Sorry to leave you on the cliff, but that's what we do, I guess. (laughs) We'll talk to you guys next week. (laughs) 